0: Welcome to Disciple Making Ministries Podcast. This is your host, David Spirik, broadcasting from Kyiv, Ukraine. This is a missionary podcast dedicated to multiplying disciple making movements internationally. Our vision is to finish the disciple making movement that Jesus started and passed on to his disciples. Our mission is to engage, to establish, to equip, and to empower believers internationally to start their own disciple-making movements among family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, and churches. Our values include being biblical, incarnational, relational, transformational, reproducible, faith-driven, prayer-driven, process-driven, principle-driven, kingdom-driven, and Holy Spirit-driven. Our services arise out of our spiritual gift set of teaching, knowledge, wisdom, prophecy, and apostleship. We're glad that you joined our show today and would like to get to know you better. So drop us a note to introduce yourself and let us know from where you're listening. We welcome ideas for future show topics and guest speakers. We're reaching for excellence here, so leave us some feedback on our website at www.disciplemakingministries.org. Or leave us a voicemail message on our telephone line at area code 214-377-1107. You may indicate there if you'd like your voicemail message to be included in a future podcast episode. I'll return in just a few moments with today's main topic. Welcome to the show today. Hey, we're so glad you joined us. We're continuing our introductory series entitled The Essentials of Disciple Making." Now, we realize that some of you are starting to wonder when we're going to move on to maybe some more exciting topics. Well, we're planning just a few more episodes in this series of The Essentials before diving into some deeper topics. We still want to produce an episode on your personal identity as a disciple maker. We still want to produce an episode on various barriers in the local church to disciple-making. And we want to produce an episode on overcoming fear and anxiety in starting a disciple-making movement. If you're not excited about building such a foundation in faith, hope, love, prayer, identity, and overcoming barriers in the church and overcoming personal fears and anxiety, then I don't know what will excite you. I tell you, reviewing these essentials has been a super blessing to me. It's refreshed my soul. Reviewing these spiritual essentials have been like breathing in the spiritual breath of the Holy Spirit. Reviewing these spiritual essentials has been like drinking the water that wells up to eternal life. Reviewing these spiritual essentials has been like eating the bread of life. But there are a number of other reasons why we started out the show with the essentials. One such reason is that we are still experiencing a learning curve ourselves in how to produce these weekly shows. We've only been doing this for about seven weeks now. So we're still getting used to the routine, to the scheduling, researching, scripting, recording, editing, producing, uploading, technical details, and so forth and so on. So starting out with a series on essentials such as faith, hope, love, prayer, and so forth and so on has given us some personal time to grow. A second reason why we wanted to start out with such a series on the essentials is to give our audience time to grow. We're gaining about 50 new listeners every month now. Well, before diving into deeper topics such as discipleship models, spiritual gifts, leadership, spiritual warfare, we wanted our audience to grow. You see, we're trying to establish more than just a show here. We're trying to establish disciple-making movements around the world. We're purposefully following a model that grows along with our audience. Another reason that we started out with a show on essentials is that our audience is still growing. Now God has given me the gifts of teaching and wisdom, but this means that I have the tendency to dump a whole lot of information on people and not give them enough time to process and to apply the lessons that they've learned. So I'm trying to apply the wisdom that God has given me to balance out the teaching with a lot of time for practical application. You're going to need some time to develop a faith that moves mountains. You're going to need some time to practically express love in community. You're going to need time to develop a prayer life that engages heaven and seeks the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You're going to need time to learn and become comfortable in developing a plan, process, and principles for reproducing disciple-making movements where you're located. Also, as time goes on, we're learning more about our audience. We're learning that most of our audience are already believers in Christ. They have some kind of a basic foundation in the Bible. Many of them already attend a local church regularly. Most have an awareness of the Great Commission, Many have a desire to be personally involved in discipleship, but one thing that we've learned is that most of you out there have probably not been personally discipled, and you've never had a model to follow. Probably most of you out there feel unqualified or undereducated in the area of making disciples. Probably most of you out there are a bit afraid to start a spiritual conversation with someone else. So step-by-step, we are building this foundation. We are strengthening and resourcing you to have greater spiritual fruitfulness. So up to now, our series has covered three main topics. First, we talked about the essential of faith in disciple-making. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It takes great faith just to start a conversation about spiritual things. Second, we shared about the essential of prayer in disciple-making Without prayer, we lack the power for the process of discipleship. You can have a great vision, you can have a great plan, you can have a great process, but every situation is unique and you need prayer in order to receive guidance from the Holy Spirit for that situation. Third, we shared about the essential of love in disciple-making. Without love, your relationships will lack authenticity. Discipleship is all about personal relationships, and relationships are all about expressing true love. So today we're in episode number seven. After the break, we'll return and discuss another essential of disciple-making, which is hope.
1: alone Faultless to stand before the throne On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand
0: Welcome back to the show. Once upon a time, there was a preacher who was invited to a dinner. And at the dinner, he was asked to give a short 10 minute talk. Now, we all know the dangers involved in asking a preacher to give a short talk. Anyway, after 20 minutes had expired, the preacher just kept on talking. After 35 minutes had expired, the master of ceremonies gave a little tap on the table. The preacher ignored it and kept on talking. After 40 minutes, the master of ceremonies gave a little louder rap with his gavel. Still, the preacher kept on talking. After an hour went by with no end in sight, the master of ceremonies slammed his gavel as hard as he could on the table. But still, the preacher went on. Finally, in a fit of rage, the master of ceremonies threw his gavel at the preacher. The gavel sailed missed the preacher's head, and hit an old man who was sitting on the other side fast asleep. The old man was startled, and he awoke, and, and with hope he shouted, Hit me again! I can still hear him! You know, many times our hope is more like the master of ceremonies and the old man, rather than that pastor. We have mistaken hope for wishful thinking. I think today this world has largely redefined biblical hope to be nothing more than wishful thinking. We hear people say phrases such as, boy, I sure hope my team wins, or I hope it rains today, or I hope we can get to good grades. In all these common phrases, hope is just a wish for something to happen. Well, I think part of the reason that the world has largely redefined hope is because the world is largely separate from Jesus Christ without a capacity to really understand biblical hope. I read from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed by the flesh in human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. The Apostle Paul lived in the Roman world that was a world without biblical hope. The Ephesian church lived in a world that had largely misplaced their hope on things that would ultimately fail. You see, all hope requires an object, an object that you place your hope into. The modern world places their hope in human effort. They place their hope in progress. They place their hope in knowledge. They place their hope in technology, they place their hope in politics, they place their hope in power, and they place their hope in their possessions. The psalmist writes about those who place their hope on things other than God. In Psalm chapter 33, verses 13 through 22, it reads like this The Lord looks from heaven, he sees the sons of men. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all, he who understands their works, The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in him, because we trust in His holy name, let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us, according as we have hoped in you. You see, those people who place their hope in the things of the world are ultimately to be pitied, for they will lose the thing that they hope in. First Corinthians fifteen twelve through nineteen reads like this: Now, if Christ is preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that he has raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. A lot of people out there are placing their hope in things that will not last. They're trying to solve world problems in their own power and strength. You know, many secular humanists out there would say that Christians are so heavenly focused that they're no earthly good. But I think it's the other way around. I think secular humanists are so earthly minded that they're not heavenly good. When it comes to philanthropy, I immediately thought of the Bill and Linda Gates Foundation. This is a secular foundation that seeks to solve world problems in secular ways. Now, Bill Gates is the wealthiest man on the planet His estimated net worth is $87.4 billion. I'd like to read from his website here, and I quote, We seek to understand the world's inequities. Whether the challenge is low-yield crops in Africa or low graduation rates in Los Angeles, we listen and learn so we can identify pressing problems that get little attention. Then we consider whether we can make a meaningful difference with our influence and our investments whether it is in a grant or contract. Our strategies, more than two dozen across the foundation, have emerged through this process of identifying what we want to accomplish for people and where we can have the greatest impact. Once we commit to an area of need, we define our major goals and identify a clear path to achieving them. We do all our work in collaboration with grantees and other partners who join with us in taking risks, pushing for new solutions, and harnessing the transformative power of science and technology. We strive to engage with our grantees and partners in a spirit of trust, candid communication, and transparency. Our collective efforts also depend on the support and resources of governments, the private sector, communities, and individuals. Now quite honestly, when I read that statement I want to throw up. Here's this guy, Bill Gates, who's got $87.4 billion of worth. And he's going around trying to coerce governments, businesses, and wealthy people to chip in a few dimes to help a few poor people somewhere in the world. His estimated net worth is never going down. It continues to rise. This guy, Bill Gates, is trying to solve human problems with human effort, progress, knowledge, technology, politics, and power when he could lay down $86 billion and feed the world tomorrow. No, he's not a picture of biblical hope. Bill Gates is a picture of worldly hope. After the break, we'll return and get a real definition of biblical hope. So stay with us.
2: my life is in you lord my strength is in you lord my hope is in Seeing you.
0: back to the show. You know, once upon a time, I owned a beautiful, handmade Martin 12-string guitar. It was the most beautiful instrument that I've ever practiced on in my entire life. When I played that guitar and listened to the sounds it made, oh, it made me think, what an extraordinary piece of workmanship. The pieces of wood were carefully selected and cut out from the trunks of the trees in thin sheets They were cut into the exact right shapes to fit together into a beautiful instrument. They were planned to the right width. They were heated and bent into shape. The individual parts were made just right to resonate properly. If it was too thick or too thin, then the marten wouldn't rightly resonate. If only the tree trunks could speak, I wonder what they would say. What are you doing to me? Why are you cutting me up? Why are you putting me near the fire and heating me? Get that knife away from me! But, you know, each painful cut, each bending, each twisting is absolutely necessary to make something beautiful in the end. If only the tree knew what the guitar maker was doing, how it might rejoice to know that it was being used and transformed into something of extraordinary beautiful sound. So it is with us when we face difficult times, because during those times, God is always working on parts of us to make us more beautiful and useful for his kingdom. Just as the master guitar manufacturer Martin has a hope to produce a beautiful instrument in the end, so God has a hope to produce a beautiful person in you. Are you pressing forward through the trials, through the tribulations, through the cutting, through the forming and the heating to become the beautiful instrument that God wants to make of you? Let's dive into the Word of God and see what it really means to have biblical hope. You know, in the Old Testament, hope is a prominent theme, especially found in the poetic and prophetic books. Hope is an essential component of life among the righteous people. Without hope, life loses its meaning. Without hope, a person loses their will to live. So what does the Bible say about hope? Well, the Hebrew language has two main words for hope in the Old Testament. The first, kawah, means to wait. And the second, yahal, also means to wait. But they have two slightly different meanings. The first one, kalal, means waiting with expectation, such as a hired worker who waits for his wages. And the second one, Yahal, simply means to wait for a period of time. Well, if you put the two together, they are two sides of the same coin, and they pretty much describe the concept of biblical hope. It means waiting in the realm of time with expectations for some future fulfillment to take place. The Greek New Testament picks up on that same idea, but uses a different word, of course, expressed in the noun Elpis and the verb Elpizo. The meaning of both these words expresses a patient expectation for a promised outcome. So biblical hope is essentially patient endurance until the promised outcome has been fully reached. Hope is not some wishful thinking. Hope is not some personal whim or desire. Hope is not something that is static. No, Instead, biblical hope is something that's dynamic, active, directive, and life-sustaining. Biblical hope is built on the revelation of God through his covenant promises to mankind. It is upon that hope that our faith is built. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. Without hope, it's impossible to have faith, or you cannot have faith without hope. Likewise, you cannot have love without faith. So these three go together, hope, faith, and love. Hope is one of these connecting words. Hope connects us with the future as memories connect us to the past. Robert Shannon tells of something he saw at a cathedral in Salzburg, Austria. The cathedral had three bronze front doors. Over the door on the right was written the word faith. Over the door on the left was written the word hope. Over the central door, the larger and more imposing door, was written the word love. You know, we may write each word over the communion table. We can write the faith because we believe that Jesus died for us. We can write hope because we believe his promise to come again. And we can write love because greater love has no man than this that he should die for his friends. Yes, these three go together, faith, hope, and love. After the break, we'll return and discuss from where the disciple maker can get hope for finishing the disciple making movement that Jesus started. I'd like to take a few moments to share about our growing toolbox of products and services here at Disciple Making Ministries. We're excited about how God continues to expand our audience and our ministry outreach. We maintain a free website and these weekly podcast episodes dedicated to helping believers like you start your own disciple making movements. We provide and translate discipleship curriculum and resources in multiple languages on our website. We host Disciple Makers Social Networking Group on Facebook as a place where you can come hang out, share, and care. We offer discipleship training seminars in both online and local venue formats we offer personal discipleship coaching relationships through the internet. We look forward to expanding our toolbox of curriculum and resources into additional languages. We look forward to starting a program for discipleship training affiliates to multiply this ministry internationally. We look forward to building a media studio to produce high-quality discipleship videos in multiple languages. We value people in partnerships that promote Kingdom Progress. So, if you'd like to help us finish the disciple-making movement that Jesus started, then connect with us through our website at www.disciplemakingministries.org. You may also connect through our telephone line at area code 214-377-1107. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. It was Robert Ingersoll that was quoted as saying, Our hope of immortality does not come from any religion, but nearly all religions come from that hope. In this segment, I want to talk about from where disciple-makers can get their hope. As in previous episodes, I'd like to point out the fact that our hope comes from the essential nature of God himself. God the Father is a God of hope. In Psalm 62, verse 5, we read, My soul wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. Our hope comes from the Father. Also, the essential nature of God the Son is one of hope. In 1 Timothy 1, 1 and 2, we read, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in faith grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. In this verse, we read that Christ Jesus is our hope. Likewise, the essential nature of the Holy Spirit is hope. Romans fifteen thirteen reads, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Where does our hope come from? It comes directly from God the Father, from God the Son, and from God the Holy Spirit. We also learn from scriptures that our hope comes from the covenant promises of God. Ephesians 2.12 reads, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This verse clearly says that people receive hope through the covenant promises of God. This reminds me of the story of Abraham in the Old Testament. God initiated a relationship with Abraham, and God told Abraham to prepare animals for covenant sacrificing. And then, after Abraham had spent all day cutting up and preparing the animals for sacrifice, God put him into a deep sleep, and God initiated the covenant promises with Abraham while Abraham was asleep. The disciple-maker will also find hope in the Word of God. Romans 15.4 explains, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. It's really clear here that we receive hope through reading the Scriptures. You know, last night I was having one of my discipleship groups here locally in Ukraine. And one of my disciples is going through a real difficult time right now. He's having some problems with uh, document issues, and he may have to leave the country. And I just really felt that God was calling me to read some of these verses on hope to him. And I could just see as I read the scriptures and prayed with him that part of the burden that was on his shoulders was just lifted off, and he had more peace in his life. Scriptures really do give you hope. I would also like to point out the fact that the heavens have hope stored up for you believers out there. Colossians 1, 5 through 6 says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Well, the point that I'm trying to make from this scripture is that there is hope actually laid up for you in heaven. In Philippians, it says that our citizenship is in heaven. And in Ephesians, it says that we are seated in the heavenly places. And there in that storehouse of treasure up in the heavens, there's also hope laid up for us believers. We can also receive our hope by thinking upon the coming of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 1.13, it says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Wow, if you want hope in your life, think on the coming of Jesus Christ. That'll build up the hope and give you strength for life. And of course, in this section, I would have to mention that famous verse from Jeremiah twenty-nine, eleven: For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. So where does hope come from? Hope comes from heaven above. If you need a little hope in your life, then get connected to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, to the Word of God, to your heavenly storehouse, to the promises, to the grace that will be revealed to you at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Get a handle on these things, and God will make the hope flow down into your life from heaven above. Now it has been said that hope is the anchor for the soul, firm and secure. An anchor belongs to a ship or a boat. It's a heavy chunk of iron, often in the shape of a double hook, which is let down to the bottom of the sea to hook into whatever it can down there to give stability to the ship. In rough and stormy weather, a ship is at the mercy of the wind and the sea. It blows all over the place. That's a very dangerous position to be in because it can be blown into the rocks or into the shore or to the sandbar or anywhere else. So the anchor is lowered to latch the ship to the bottom of the sea, to something solid to give it stability. Well, hope is an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Our anchor reaches not to the bottom of the sea, but to the sanctuary, to behind the curtain. That's the curtain which God tore in two when Christ cried out on the cross, It is finished. That sanctuary is heaven itself where Christ has gone and where he's seated at the right hand of God. He is the first fruits of the resurrection, to use Paul's figure of speech. He who was dead but who now lives forever has gone before us to prepare a place for us. He is our forerunner, and our anchor is attached to him. His having gone before us assures that we will follow. He is the first fruits, and we will be a part of the harvest to come. Our hope is anchored, hooked into the one who has gone ahead on our behalf. In a world of all kinds of change and uncertainty and fear at breakneck speed, Jesus is that anchor of our soul. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast, that keeps the soul sure when the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. So let the winds blow. Let the waves surge. Let the threats come. Let the world speed on. We have an anchor. We have a hope. We have a stability here. Our eternity is guaranteed in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. On the way to work one day, a woman saw these words written on a sign at a local church. It said, Hope is real. She thought about it and agreed with the statement. But as she pondered the simple little phrase, she realized that for many people, hope is something that is not real. There are so many out there in this world who are hopeless, who are alone, and who cannot help themselves out of their situations. They have a great sense of loss and helplessness. They need someone to come alongside them and bring them the good news of Jesus Christ and all that He has to offer. As a disciple maker, you have a great opportunity to share with others the things upon which they can place their hope. The solid rock, the firm foundation. The anchor for their souls. So, what are some things upon which you can place your hope? You can anchor your hope in the promises of God. God always keeps His promises. He'll never let you down. You can anchor your hope in the salvation that comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's a sure thing. It is finished. The work has been done. You can anchor your hope in the resurrection. Jesus rose again on the third day and because of his resurrection ours is a sure thing. You can anchor your hope in the redemption of your body. You're going to get a new body someday. For when he appears we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And anyone who has his hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. You can anchor your hope in eternal life. For he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You can anchor your hope in the inheritance that is reserved in heaven for you, God willed it to be made known what is the riches of his glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You can anchor your hope in the fact that nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long We'll return after the break with the final segment of this episode describing how hope impacts your life and the life of those around you. I'd like to take a few moments to share seven ways for you to practically participate in disciple making ministries. First and foremost, we want each of you out there to start your own disciple making movements, for that is the only way that we're going to be able to finish the disciple making movement that Jesus started. The second, you can attend one of our online disciple-making seminars. This will help you get started in training others how to make disciples. Third, you can translate curriculum and resources into multiple languages. Fourth, you can donate towards our vision or sponsor a podcast episode to keep us going here on the internet. Fifth, you can make your Amazon and iTunes purchases through our affiliate links, which returns a percentage back to our ministry. Sixth, you can leave positive reviews on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Podbean. Seventh, you can spread the word about this ministry to leaders in local churches. For more information, please visit our website at www.disciplemakingministries.org or leave us a message on our call-in telephone line at area code 214-377-1107. And now back to the show. Welcome back to the show. I ran across a cartoon by FreshSpectrum.com. The cartoon has a lot of stick figures in it. And it has one man on a stage behind a podium with a loudspeaker system. And he's speaking out to the crowd. And it's written on the cartoon, I called you all here because I need you to stop helping people. It's really messing up my impact assessment. You know, God has called us to live in faith, hope, and love in order to mess up Satan's impact assessments. How does hope radically transform who you are from the inside out? Let's look at some scriptures that point us to the impact of hope in our personal inner lives. First of all, hope provides you with inner enlightenment. Ephesians 1, 18-23 reads, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So this hope that lives inside of you, that comes from above, is a hope that enlightens your heart. It's a hope that enables you to see the greatness of his power and experience the wonders of his riches. Secondly, I'd like to say that hope provides inner joy and peace. I repeat Romans 15:13, which reads, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Getting a hold of hope messes up Satan's plans because it produces joy and peace in your heart, a peace that surpasses all understanding, a joy that overflows into the lives of others around you. Third, I would like to point out the fact that hope provides inner strength and power and encouragement. Let me take you back to Isaiah chapter 40, verses 27 through 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard... The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. In Psalms, it reads, Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. Fourth, I'd like to point out the fact that hope gives you comfort and confidence even to the end of your life. Let me read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13-18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And in Job chapter 13, verse 15, we read, Though he slay me, I will have hope in him. Job went all the way to the end, maintaining this great hope that preserved him, that gave him confidence, that gave him comfort in the midst of the trials. And hope also provides deliverance not only for our spirits, but also our souls and our bodies. Psalm thirty-three eighteen through 22 reads, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Never let go of hope, for one day you will see that it has finally come together. You will look back at what is past, and you will ask yourself, How did I get through all of that? Not only does hope impact your inner world, but hope will also flow out of that and impact the external world. Someone once said, Don't lose hope. When the sun comes down, the stars come out. Hope in the Lord delivers us even from death. It says in 2 Corinthians 1, 9-11, Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. The Apostle Paul was thrown in prison many times. Did he complain? Did he argue? Did he cry? Did he weep? Did he lose hope? The Apostle Paul managed to maintain hope through it all, through shipwrecks, through beatings, through torture, through everything. Hope is going to radically change your self-identity to the point that others are going to see your faith and your love in Jesus Christ. Hope is going to change your value system. Not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Hope is also going to radically transform your behaviors. Titus 2 reads like this, But as for you, speaking the things which are fitting for sound doctrine, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior not malicious gossips not enslaved to much wine teaching what is good so that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands to love their children to be sensible pure workers at home kind being subject to their own husbands so that the word of god will not be dishonored In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing to say about us. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Hope is going to radically transform your rejoicing. It says in Romans 12:12, 12, 12, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. And hope is going to free you from anxiety and worry about your needs being met. And Jesus said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, or for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life span? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying, for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things." But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts, which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near, nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The positive physiological effects of hope are well documented. Researchers are learning that a change in mind has set the power to alter the neurochemistry. Belief and hope can also have important effects on fundamental physiological processes like respiration, circulation, and motor function. Is it no wonder that there is a strong connection between hope, emotional being, and good health? Yes, hope is just as essential as food, air, water, exercise, and many of the other essentials. Martin Luther King once said, We must accept infinite disappointment, but we must never lose infinite hope. The Bible echoes this in the book of Proverbs, chapter 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. It is good for a person to have hope, but if it is not fulfilled for a long time, then he can experience disappointment. But when a hope is fulfilled, a person is refreshed. The gratification of hope gives encouragement like a tree that gives life. We're running out of time in this episode, and so I would like to close simply with a prayer of hope. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I pray for my audience out there that you would establish them in hope That you would strengthen them, help them to remain steadfast in your hope, in your love. I pray that you would give them perseverance. I pray that you would help them to wait patiently for the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I pray, Lord, that they would be strong to the point of boasting in their hope, firm until the end. I pray, Lord, that they would also exalt in the hope of the glory of God, and I pray that they would exalt in the hope through their tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance brings about proven character, proven character brings about hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. I pray also, Lord, that in hope they would become imitators of the apostles, of the faithful who have gone before. And I pray that with all boldness, Christ would be exalted in their bodies, souls, and spirits. Now I pray that you'd give my disciples out there a hope for a preferred future. I pray that that hope in them would produce Faith, And that faith in them would produce love. And the love in them would produce joy. And that joy would overflow into a witness, into a testimony of your grace to the disciples that are around them. So I pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining our show today. If you have a question about the topic, if you have comments or any feedback... If you have any ideas for future topics or guest speakers, if you'd like to download our free online discipleship curriculum, if you'd like to join our social networking group on Facebook, if you'd like to sign up for our next disciple-making webinar, if you'd like to become a patron, sponsor, crowdfunder, or volunteer to help us reach our goal, then start a dialogue with us at www.disciplemakingministries.org or leave a message at area code 214-377-1107. We also appreciate positive reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Podbean, as well as sharing the news about our podcast with your family and friends. Join us next week for another engaging episode. This is your host, David Spirik, signing off from Kiev, Ukraine.